All right, well, welcome to week two of Why I Believe. Whether you're here in person or following us online, welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint, and I am thrilled to, um, to get us to study God's Word today. Last week, last week, uh, Pastor Nicholas got us started and with this series, Why I Believe. And I want to say something as we continue the series um, that I want you to know, our authority, our authority is the Bible, okay? So you'll never, you'll never come here and, you know, we will, in fact, it's one of our core values. We point people to Jesus and His Word. We keep it very simple. Whether it's your kids in Kids Church, whether it's our students tonight with the youth rally, whether it's on Sunday mornings or any other time, our goal every time we meet it's to point people to Jesus and His Word. Pretty simple. If you're new, if you don't know what we're about, that's it. That's what we're about. And um, I want to recap something that Pastor Nicholas said last week that is foundational. Some of you guys were, you know, spring break, you were out. I want to say, I want to recap, I want to kind of mention something that he shared with us last week that is foundational, not just to the series that we're doing, but actually to our church. He said this. He was talking about the Bible. Last week was uh, why I believe in the Bible. And he said this, The Bible, humanly speaking, was written by approximately 40 different people. Okay, over, over 40 diverse people. Okay, now I want you to think about that for a moment. Over 40 different people in a period of about... 1500 years so it was not like all written in the same the same period okay so over 1500 periods over 40 authors now i want you to think about that for a moment 40 different people so you have somebody like matthew matthew was a tax collector in our world today he would have been working for who for the i r s yes you have isaiah isaiah was a prophet you have uh, john he was a fisherman he was always on a boat. How many of you guys like boats? Raise your hand. There you go. You're my kind of people. I'll be like John. John is my man. I'll be on a boat. Man, I love that. Uh, you have people like Isaiah or Ezra. He was a priest. Moses was a shepherd. Paul was a tent maker. So I have a couple of Coleman tents. So he would have been working in our world today. Paul would have been working for Coleman. Uh, you have Luke. He was a, does anybody know? He was a doctor. So I want you to think about this for a moment because it's foundational to our series. How in the world do you get 40 people? Now remember, this was written a while back. In a day and age when there's no internet, there's no email, there's no Zoom, there's no way to get together and say, okay, this is what we're going to write. All right, let's come up with the outline. None of that existed. Okay, like I'm writing a book with Brenda and like we have to meet on a regular basis to make sure that, okay, our outlines are on the same place and we're kind of going in the same direction. And so, I, you know, Pastor Nicholas said last week, he said there are basically 66 love letters. And we say they're love letters because we believe they have been supernaturally inspired by God. Now, he used men, right, to write them, but there's no way that... 40, over 40 authors, 66 letters, three different languages. There's no way that you have that number of people in a period of 1,500 years write about the same Savior, the same Messiah, the same plan of redemption. There's no way. And so that's why I believe in the Bible. It's got to be 
you know, God used men, but it's got to be, there's something supernatural about it. Now, you may be here, you may be listening, and you may not believe in the Bible. You may have questions, and I want you to know that we are not threatened by that. We're not intimidated by that. We love people that have questions. In fact, um, some of the greatest questions that people will ask me, some of the most challenging questions that, that, that people will ask me are from people that don't believe. And I love it because it helps me grow as a Jesus follower. But I want you to know this. I want you to know something I'll, I'll often say it because it matters to me, and I want our church people to know this. You don't have to believe what I believe in order for you to be loved by us, okay? So if this morning, if you're here and you, you say, like, you know what? I have questions. I don't believe in the Bible. I don't know what to think. I think it's a book of, you know, that, that contradicts itself or it's an old book or it's antiquated. I want you to know, I want you to know that's cool with me. We can have, we can have a conversation. I'm, I'm fine with that, okay? We can talk about it. I'm not threatened by it, you know? Um, the only thing that I would encourage you to do is to read it, okay? Just read it. Go, go to the Gospel of Matthew and start reading it. Because a lot of people will say, you know, that's an old book. It's not very practical. And I ask them, have you read it? And you know what the answer is? Ah, no, Pastor, you know, it's like, no, it's an old book. It doesn't apply, you know. Have you read it? No, oh, no, not sure I've read it. So I want you to make an informed decision, so whether you believe it or not in the Bible, I want you to make an informed decision. So just read it. Pick it up. I was, I'll tell you how I came to know Christ. It wasn't a church. Uh, it was not a... And by the way, this morning, I'm not asking you to join a denomination or religion. I'm not asking you to join LifePoint, okay? Like, if you, if you don't believe in the Bible, I'm asking you to begin by just reading it so you can make an informed decision. I was 15. I was moving... I was born in Venezuela. I was moving from Venezuela to Colombia... Um, I was moving, we were moving with my family to Florida, but my dad sent my mom, my sister, and I to Colombia. My grandparents are from Colombia while he sold everything. And so, for about two and a half, three months that summer, when I was 15, I really didn't have anything to do, and I had a Bible. And I just started reading it, just reading the Gospel of Matthew. And I, no pastor, there was no altar call, there was no raising your hand or say the prayer after me, none of that. I just read the gospel, and I was blown away by God's radical love for me. And so today, the foundation from what I'm going to say, it's, from, it's God's word. If you don't believe, that's cool. I hope you don't tune me out. But let's engage in a conversation and just read it and make your own mind, okay? So we're going to talk about, does anybody know what the theme is for today? We're talking about why I believe, but does anybody know the specific theme? Last week was why I believe in the Bible. Today is life after death, life after death. Uh, clinically speaking, like clinical evidence, let me put it that way. Scientific proof for life after death is pretty subjective in my opinion sometimes you can even argue it for me it's hard to assess the significance of out-of-body experiences like somebody says man like you know like there are people who have died and and then they come back or they've had a dream or a vision and they said you know what i experience this bright light I experienced this thing. And for me as a pastor, it's hard to respond to, to those people who have had a temporary near-death dream, vision, 
about heaven or hell or whatever. And so the question we're asking today is, how do we know? I'm a kind of an analytical guy. I'm a skeptic. And so, so I want to know how. Tell me how. How do you know that you know, like, what happens the second after you die? Like, how, do you, how does anybody know, right? And, um, like, one of the greatest fears of life, it's of, often connected to the unknown, right? Like, the fears that we have in life, they're connected to the things that we don't understand, we don't know, we, you know, the f- fear of the future, maybe you have a relative, they're sick, they have cancer, we don't know what's going to happen, that, that's, that's hard to deal with, the future of the unknown, and when it comes to the afterlife, I don't think it, there's anything more unknown than that, and so it's a great question to ask, we are, um, when I was in, when I lived in North Carolina, um, I was 29 years old when God calls us to this church. Uh, first church I was pastoring, like the lead pastor. And I remember my second year into it, there were about, I, th- I did in about two and a half weeks or three weeks, I did five funerals. And it was Christmas time. And for me, it was brutal. Like I, it was one of the worst one of the most difficult, because I've sort of, as a pastor, you know, I feel what people are going through. So when, when you tell me, hey, pray for me, like, finances are, you know, or my parents are this or that, like, man, I, I feel that, you know, and I carry that on me, and I pray for you. And so for me to go through, you know, literally three and a half weeks of, like, one funeral after the next, as a 29, 30-year-old uh, young preacher, that was, like, that was extremely difficult. But here's what I've learned in those weeks. I learned that when you come face to face with death, if you've ever lost a loved one, I've learned that the veil of life, the veil of stress, and sometimes, you know, we worry about petty things. You know, I worry about little petty things sometimes. When you come face to face with someone that you love, with someone that's near you, the veil of life is lifted, and all of a sudden you have clarity about what matters most in life. And it's in those moments that life after death becomes one of the most important questions that any of us could ask. Now, I could argue my position. I do believe that there is life after death. I could argue my position from different angles. I can, um, I can tell you stories of people who've had near-death experiences. So that's one angle. In fact, there are millions of books that are sold every year from people who had said, in fact, I was, we were doing Share the Love yesterday, and I was talking to this lady, and on her stack of books that she had, one of the books was 90 Minutes in Heaven, okay? And so, well, you know, I think that was the title. I, I may be getting that wrong, but it, was, it had to do with life after death, okay? And so, I could tell you that there is um, there's research in, in the UK. Uh, I found out this study uh, of over 2,000 people who literally, they had died, their hearts had stopped beating, no brain waves, and of the 2,000 people, about 40% of them said that they had an unusual experience. Some of them saw a bright light, long tunnel. Some of them, they, they saw, I, I guess it was, you know, like this, some sort of, um, you know, like a, a being or like an angel or something of, of that nature. Some of them experienced um, dark, a dark tunnel or a void, darkness. So that's one way I could tackle the issue today and tell you about uh, life after death through 
personal stories. Here's the second way I could talk about anthropology. So there's this universal belief, okay? So you go all the way from like the pyramids of the Egyptians to the, the reincarnation of the New Age thinking. I mean, all over, through, throughout history, there's people, you know, you can go to, to South America, the jungles of, of the Amazon, all the way to Africa, people like that are not even remotely close to any form of civilization. And universally speaking, there are, most people believe that there is this thing about life after death. Like the human soul survives death. So I could tackle it that way. I could talk to you a little bit about psychology. And I could tell you that there's this inner sort of innate sense that there's got to be more into life than just now. Like this can't be just it, right? This is not enough. There's got to be, there's something else. Like if we think that this is it, we're missing something. So I can tackle it from that aspect, psychology. Almost as if maybe eternity has been planted in our hearts. Could talk to you about ethics and tell you that, you know, ethics is all about justice, right? So ethics says good must be rewarded, evil must be punished. And we know that this life is not, you know, it's not always, that's not always the case, right? We don't always see good rewarded and evil punished, right? Like this is, I tell my kids from time to time, life is not, have you ever said it? Life is not what? Not fair, right? And so if you've been watching the news, uh, I mean, you only have to watch the news for 30 minutes to know, man, life is not fair. You know, good is not always rewarded, and evil is not always punished. And so, from an ethics perspective, I could say, there's got to be a place and time where things are made right. Does that make sense? But I'm not an ethics teacher. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not an anthropologist. And... And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you as much biblical proof as I can give you, okay? Like, I want to just overload you with Bible verses, because I'm, I'm a pastor, okay? You know, I mean, even theologian would be a stretch, okay? But I study God's Word, and I have a heart for the things of God. And so, not an ethics teacher, not a psychologist, not any of the anthropologists, but, but I do know a little bit about the Bible. And so today, and the reason why I said earlier, the foundation is God's Word. And so today, what I want to give you is I want to give you some verses about what Scripture says about life after death. So uh, there's a, a thought that says that life after death is it's only found in the New Testament. Like, there's nothing in the Old Testament about it. And I mean, I don't think, anything, I mean, nothing could be further than the truth. And so what I, what I want to do is I want to give you several verses. If you have your Bibles and you're going to be following along, go to Psalm 73. Uh, I want to give you a couple of verses before we get there. Uh, Psalm 73, incredible psalm that we're going to look at today. But a few verses. Uh, uh, Daniel, for example. Daniel was speaking of things to come which also is another proof, by the way, when you read Scripture, you see several of, the, not all of them, but many of these authors sometimes were telling of future events, and now you can go back and look, and you can match those events that happen at a particular time, and they're saying, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. They happen to us now, they're history, but there's historical proof. So if there's nothing else, man, that's another thing that, that we can talk about. Pastor Nicholas talked about that a little bit, the origin of where the Bible comes from. Um, but a couple of verses before we get to Psalm 73. Daniel, for example, he's talking about future events and what's going to happen. And he says this. He says, but at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book. 
So the Bible talks about, like for those who are um, Jesus followers, for those who believe in the Lord, they, it says that our names will be written in the book of life. So this is kind of what Daniel is referring to. It says, but at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Now watch this next verse. Verse 2 says, many of those bodies who lie dead and buried will rise up. Okay, so he's talking about these people who are dead, who have died. They will be resurrected, some to life, some to everlasting shame. Listen to it. Some to everlasting life, there it is, and some to shame and everlasting what? Disgrace. So you can't tell me that it's not in the Old Testament. I, don't, I can't. That, there's nothing. I mean, that's pretty clear to me at least. All right. Uh, another passage that I can give you is 2 Samuel chapter <clears throat> 12 verse 23 if you want to write down that that one down 2nd Samuel 12 23 David King David he's baby sick okay <clears throat> not doing well about to die he gets on his knees he begs God for mercy he's literally fasting for a week and the baby dies and then David says he basically gets up um, he says I'm done fasting because he's dead I can't bring him back and he says I will go to him one day but he cannot return to me. And David is implying that the baby will be in heaven and that he will be with him in the afterlife. Now, a couple of references. Let me give you the one that I really want to get into today. Psalm 73. Really, really cool psalm written by a man named Asaph. Everybody say Asaph. So Asaph was um, the leader like a, of a choir and director back in the, in the day, Okay in the Bible times, Old Testament. And think of Ignatius, think of Vivian, okay? They're worship leaders, okay? But Asaph is struggling in his relationship with God. And he's struggling because he sees that there is evil in the world that doesn't get punished, and then there is good that doesn't get rewarded. And so he's just really wrestling with this, and he's describing how he almost lost his faith. And I don't know if you've ever been there I've been there before. Like, I, I, there's been times in my life where I'm like, I'm done. In fact, there was a time uh, years ago when I said, I am done with ministry. I'm done with Christian. You know, in fact, I said, I hate Christians. I got to that point in my life. And maybe you've, you've been there somewhere along life, and you're like, man, I'm this is it. I'm about to snap. That's where Asaph is finding himself, Okay. Because he's considering how evil people prosper and the godly suffer. So let me read it. I'm going to read the first few verses, and then I'll get to the, the main portion. But if you're following along, I'm, be, I'm beginning in verse 1. Se Psalm 73, verse 1. He says, It's truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping. I was almost gone. For I envy, listen, the proud when I saw them prosper. I envied the proud when I saw them prosper, despite their wickedness. They seem to leave, they seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are always healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're, they're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. So, are you tracking? Are you kind of following along? Like, this guy is a little bit bitter, okay? He doesn't quite understand why do bad things happen to good people, okay? That's sort of the, the idea behind this. 
In fact, it gets so real. Verse 11, he says, what does God know? Does the Most High even know what's happening? You know, like we've been left to our own demise. I mean, like it almost seems to me like God created us and he just left us, you know, and he left us with all of our junk and all of our problems. And he, this is a choir director guy, right? Like a worship leader. And he's like, God, what do you know? Because I don't get life. I don't understand it. And then verse 13 says, Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? And then there's a little bit of breakthrough. And verse 17, kind of, Bible says that he goes to the sanctuary. In our world today, it would be like church, right? Um, place of worship. Then I went to the sanctuary, oh God, and I finally understood, listen to this, here, here it is, the destiny of the wicked. And he's talking about, like, listen, if you want to live life on your own, like, if you want to make your own rules, if you want to be autonomous from God, essentially what he says the rest of the passage is you will endure eternal uh, death, he says. It says, verse 17, it says, Truly you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff of dest to destruction. Watch this. In an instant, they're destroyed. He's talking about the wicked. Completely swept away by terrors. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside and I was foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, yet I still belong to you. And I love this part because it almost it clicks for him. I still belong to you and you hold my right hand and you guide me with your counsel leading me to a glorious destiny. Now here's verse 25. All of that to say this, to get to this por portion. Whom have I in heaven but you he says i desire you more than anything on earth now watch this next word health may fail my spirit may grow weak but god remains the strength of my heart he is mine for what forever forever and so one of the primary reasons why I believe that there's got to be life after death is because there's a lot of injustices happening on planet Earth. And I don't understand them. I cannot answer. I can't tell you, look, I know everything, you know, that, you know, I, know, I have an answer for, to every question. I see a lot of things happen in our world, and I'm like, I just don't know. I don't know how to explain it. But I believe that we will be held accountable one day. For the good and for the bad. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews, it says, it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. And so I can quote to you Old Testament scripture all day long, okay? I can go, I can fast forward to Jesus, and I can quote Jesus Christ. Most people say, at least from my perspective, I've never met someone who says that Jesus was an evil man. Have you? Have you ever met someone that says, I've met people that don't believe in him. I've, be, I've met atheists have told me that. I've met people that believe in Satan. They're Satanists. Okay? I have personally never met someone who, who says evil, like, like Jesus Christ was an evil man. Like even atheists and people that are in like non-Christian circles or religions, they treat him with respect and dignity. Okay? 
So he's not an evil person. And yet Jesus, of all people in the New Testament, used the word hell more than anybody else. In the NIV, the word hell appears 14 times. Okay, It can be translated in different ways, so I picked a translation. NIV, 14 times. Do you know how many times Jesus used the word hell of the 14 times? 12. Right? Like, that's a, that's a pretty high percentage. Not an evil person, but constantly mentioning the word hell. Let me show you an example of what I'm talking about. Matthew 10, 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, when, when I use the word and when he used the word, we're going to listen to two separate words. Because when Jesus used the word hell, he's using this word. It, it's a very vivid word. It's the word Gehenna. Everybody say Gehenna. I'm teaching you a little bit of Greek. Now you know a little bit. Now you know how to say don't go cursing anybody, okay? <laughs> but now you know how to say hell in Greek. Gehenna. Say it with me. Gehenna. Good, good. Uh, so don't tell anybody, go to a Gehenna, all right? Don't do that. It's not, that's not the point of the message. But when Jesus said the word Gehenna, to them, to the Hebrew people, it was a, very, it was a reference to a very literal place. It was a valley called the Valley of Hinnom, and it was actually south of Jerusalem. Can we put the picture up? Um, this is what the Valley of Hinnom looked like. And for the, the Jews, for the Hebrew people, they know exactly what he's referring to when he uses the word hell. In this particular place, um, throughout history, there were pagans who would worship different gods, the god of Moloch, the god of Baal. And I don't want to get too graphic, but these, these pagan people would literally do some I mean, horrible things. They would kill people. They would sacrifice babies. They would set your, their young sons and daughters on fire. I mean, like, like if you want to dig in a little bit more, go into um, Jeremiah 7.30 and, and 7.31. I'm not going to read it because I don't want to. Uh, we have kids in the room, and I don't want to be too graphic. But if you want to dig in a little bit more, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 30 and 31, and you'll see what was going on right over here. So when Jesus uses the word Gehenna, they know the acts of violence and death have been committed throughout the years. And so this was a place where basically um, they would put the dead, dead criminals. They would put them in this place. They would put the, the bodies of dead criminals. People who would die on crosses. Once they died, they would take them to the Valley of Hinnom. And there was a sp special section the, in Gehenna where they would put him. And so what ends up happening is the Jews hated, because of history, they hated the, this place so much, the Valley of Hinnom, that they, they turned it into the town's dump. And so they started taking all of the city's trash to this valley. And they, all of the, the bodies of dead criminals were taken there. And the place was full of dead animals, human flesh, and they constantly would keep a fire burning to sort of sanitize as though it was a, a, a way for them to recycle things. And it was known as the, the place, some people believe that it was cursed, it was known as the place of the gnashing of teeth where the fire never dies. And so when Jesus uses the word hell, it's loaded with meaning and powerful visual so let's read it one more time. 
Don't be afraid of those who want to kill the body. They can't touch the soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Verse 29, it seems when he gets to 29, like he's kind of switching tracks, but hang in there, okay? Because he's, he's on point. Verse 29, Jesus says, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? In other words, what's the price of that little bird? Like, is it, like, is it just a, a cent? Like, one cent? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. Watch this. He's right on point. Hang in there. And the very hairs on your head are all number. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable. Watch this. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. All right, so I've given you plenty of scripture. What do we learn? Why do I believe in life after death? Why do I believe in, in the afterlife? I want to give you four points real quick, and we'll, we'll wrap it up, okay? First one is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Man's dignity and freedom demands it. Man's dignity and freedom demands, demands it. God doesn't force himself on us. Love always requires the opportunity to say yes or no. Let me say that again. Love always requires the opportunity for you to say yes or no. Like if you're dating someone and you love them but they're not into you, you cannot smother. Like if you smother them, actually that's going to be worse. They're, you know, they're going to flee, right? You cannot force someone to love you. And so, so God says, I respect your choice. I respect your individual choice. If you ignore me, if you, uh, if you reject me, it'll break my heart, but I'm not going to force myself on you. Does that make sense? So why do I believe in the afterlife, life, heaven and hell? Man's dignity and freedom demands it. Two, God's holiness and justice demands it. Now, can you imagine a place where Hitler and Mother Teresa are in, like, in the same place? Like, that's, how could that be, you know? You have, like, Osama bin Laden or a terrorist or someone who's done horrific evil. And those, you know, Billy Graham or a hero of somebody, like, that you, like, that's your hero of the faith. I mean, how could God put him in the same place? And so holy, God's holiness and justice dema demands it. Um, a loving God can't be loving if he's not just. So can you imagine somebody walking into this room and, or wherever you are at home, breaking into your home and just going, bang, 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 and killing your loved ones and your friends, and then somehow you make it out of that alive, and then months later you're in court and they bring this man before the judge, and there's evidence, there's video cameras and everything, and there's plenty of proof that this man committed a horrific act, and the judge looks at him, and he looks at the evidence, and he says, ah, eh, it's all good. He was just having a bad day. No, you and I, we would go, no, that is not right. You don't do that. I mean, what kind of judge are you? And so... God's holiness and justice demands life after death, heaven and a hell. 
Three, because of sin seriousness. Sin seriousness demands that sin is like a cancer that has hit planet Earth through the human race. Think about it. It's sin what caused the Son, what caused Jesus Christ to die for us. The Bible says that when Christ was on the cross, he took all of our sins and the Father rejected him because God the Father is holy. And so it was sin that put him there and he paid a price for it. And so sin's seriousness, sin's, sin must be paid. God cannot be flippant about it. There's got to be a heaven and health. And the last one is this. Evil must be defeated. Evil must be defeated. And I'll close with this verse. John 5, 24, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I'll tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message, those who listen to my what? My message. And believe in God who sent me have eternal life. If you listen to my message, you believe in God, who's the one that sent me, have eternal life. Watch this. They will never be what? Condemned. A lot of people look at God and they, they think that he's this, this old guy with a gray beard out to get you. Every time you mess up, he's going to come get you. No, no, no. God sent his son for you and for me. He is for us. He, he says it. They will never be condemned. Sins. But they have already passed from death to life. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, worship team, you guys get on stage. Whether you're here in person, whether you're following online, I want you to know that Jesus promised us heaven. He came to give you heaven, life after death. He promised, just like he promised paradise to the repentant thief who's dying by his side. But Jesus, of all people, also used hell. The Valley of Hinnom, Gehenna. He knew it was a foul garbage dump outside of Jerusalem, and he used that as a symbol of what awaits those who insist on risking the judgment of God. And if you study what Jesus says, you would know that according to Jesus... Facing the reality of death is probably one of the most significant issues of life. So he said, he said this, he said, if your eye keeps you from God, there's reason to get rid of that eye. In other words, he said, it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Now, I'm going to confess to you guys, I, I don't usually think about heaven and hell that, this much. Like this week, I've been doing a lot of research for the message, but I don't usually think about heaven and hell as much. And so if you're here and you're a believer, you're a Jesus follower, you're like, okay, how does this help? Let me ask you this. What would happen if you actually believed? What would happen if you actually believed that there is a heaven and a hell 
as, re as real as Jesus said. What would happen to your priorities? What would happen to your tithe and the money that you give to God? Because a lot of people, they show up to LifePoint and they say, and these are Jesus followers, oh, I love God and I love LifePoint and I believe in the vision, but they don't give a dime to the church. Oh, here, here he goes, talking about money again. What would happen if we actually believe that there is a heaven and a hell and that there are people that we love, that if we don't tell them, if we don't share the gospel with them, they're going to live apart from God forever and ever and ever. What would that do to your priorities if you actually believe, if you actually love people? On your seats, we put some cards says who's your one in two weeks we have Easter people are 80% more receptive to an invite for Easter than any other time of the year it's Easter especially in East Texas here's what I want to challenge you with write down your one get the card we'll share this online as well get the card or write down a name of who you're going to identify you're going to intercede. You're going to pray for them. You're going to invest. You're going to create a connection point. You're going to be intentional. Look for opportunities to have spiritual conversations. And you're going to invite them. I challenge you. Find out who is your one. If you're here, if you're listening, and you're like, man... I've never believed, you know, I've, I've done church thing, I've listened, I tune in, but there's never been a time when I've really given my life to Christ, and you want to settle that once and for all, and you want to be like, I want to know for sure that I'm in, I want my eternity in heaven with the Lord. Um, you, can, you can get that done today, it's very simple. You know, Thomas, when Jesus was ascending into heaven, Thomas, one of his disciples says, Lord, how do we know? We want to follow you. And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so today, I'm not asking you to join a religion. I'm not asking you to join LifePoint. I'm not asking you to do a bunch of religious rituals. I'm asking you to establish a relationship with your Creator. And if that's where your heart is, and you want to know for sure about your eternity, you can do that right now. And I wonder, how many of you would say, Pastor, yeah, would you pray for me? Would you raise your hand all over the room? I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. Anyone else? I see that hand. Online, give us a thumbs up, let us know. You can text us to that number that we're always mentioning. And tons of hands all over the room. Just pray this simple prayer. You can say it out loud, you can say it in your heart, I don't care. Just say, Dear Jesus, I just want you to be the Lord of my life. I just want you to be my CEO. God, I, you know my mistakes. You know my past. God, forgive me. But God, I want to surrender to you. And I believe, I believe with all my heart that you came and you died and you paid the price and you came back from the dead. And God, I believe in you today. 
Would you help me to keep my focus on you? I want, I want you, Lord, more than anything else. You know, if you pray that prayer for the first time, the Bible says that heaven is rejoicing, like heaven is throwing a party on your behalf. Bible says that you are a new creation. Bible says that God gives you, like you don't get like a junior-sized Holy Spirit, all right? Like you get the full thing. You get like, okay, like if you have like, a, if you know of a spiritual pastor or whatever that you look up to and you're like, man, I want to be like that person, you know, like it's not like they have a, a greater spirit than you. No, you get the whole thing. And so today, I just want to celebrate with you. If you raise your hand, could you raise it up one more time? Let's celebrate. Raise your hand one more time as a church. Father, we give you thanks for the people who've come to know you, Lord. Pray that they know that it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. We praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand up as we finish up.